Welcome to Chit Chat Money. Today is Tuesday, May 26th. We have no interview today. It is our last show before our break. Um, mm -hmm. We're expecting to be back around August, September timeframe. So for anyone that doesn't know, and hopefully the, the person I'm working for doesn't care that I say this, I'm going and interning for The Motley Fool, and Brett is hiking from Mexico to Canada. So yeah. Because of both of those reasons, we just thought it would be best to stop the show for three, four months and then come right back to it. So we hope that you continue to follow us and we'll let you know when stuff comes back out. Brett might not have internet. Um, he might be in the woods. So uh, yeah. I will st I'll still probably be on Twitter a little bit here and there, but this is our last episode until August, September timeframe. Yeah. Are we doing another fundamental analysis show right for thursday is that the last one or are we just going to end it with this i guess we're discussing this yeah i'm thinking this is the last one all right well that's good sounds good to me we ended with spotify uh for the last fa very you know one close to our heart so if you go <laughs> listen to that one that one's fun but yeah last one until august or you know yeah yeah and so what is your story for the week it is facebook shops so big news out of palo alto the Zuck went on a live stream and announced that they're going to help small businesses easily find customers online through Facebook, Instagram, and all their apps. So it's very interesting development. Okay. And I am talking about the Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act. It was all over Twitter this week and basically in the news. Um, and it's, it's sort of targeted at China and we'll talk about that. Um, and then on the second half, well, as always, we have current state of FinTwit. And on the second half, instead of anecdotal evidence, we're going to go with the five things we've learned since starting the podcast. Um, so we both have our own little list there. And then as always, we have our hot water uh, and fuck, Mary kill. Let's go. Welcome in. I'll kick things off. This week, the United States Senate approved the Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act. It was a bill. Um, it was approved without any objection. Still needs to pass through the House of Representatives. I think it will, uh, if I'm guessing. Um, but yeah, big political analyst here, Ryan yeah, Henderson. So the end result. Of, the end result of this legislation is that non-U.S. companies that fail to meet certain criteria could be barred from trading on U.S. stock exchanges. That's the big headline. That was the news. The act will prohibit companies from being listed on U.S. securities exchanges if the company has failed to comply with public company with the public company accounting oversight board's audits for three years in a row. So, and they are uh, they're like a purview of the SEC. So, and that's it's a group, the public company accounting oversight board, and they're basically ensuring that the audits and that the financial statements are correct. And so if you have not been complying with their, uh, their regulations for three years in a row, you can be, you can be removed from the U S securities exchanges. The bill would also force public companies to disclose whether they are owned by a foreign government. Oh, this is obviously that, aimed at China, right? Yes. Yeah. China and other nations. I mean, there could just other ones that have a history of bad acting, but mainly, the most newsy part of this is definitely the Chinese companies in light of the luck and coffee scandal and the other scandals where people are just making up revenue over the past few months here. Yeah. And so the, the goal is essentially, or the senators that were discussing it were basically saying they have come to America, accessed our capital, 
and a lot of them are faking revenue or you know faking some financial statements and but they're getting capital from Americans and so they at the end of the day they have to comply with the same rules and regulations that American companies do it's not like they are bullying these companies in any way it's not like they have extra audits or any processes they're just yeah this it seems fair yeah if you're going to list on you can list in different countries this isn't the only place you can list but if you want to list in new york you have to follow the same rules and comply with the sec gap standards stuff like that it's honestly surprising to me that this like that they don't have to do that already yeah yeah i thought this should have been put into place at the start when i mean i guess things weren't as global back in the day but when the accounting standards came in in the 30s and 40s, you would have thought that they would have talked about foreign entities, but maybe when globalization picked up in the 80s and 90s, they would have talked about that. But I mean, now is the best time, if any. You know, today is better than tomorrow. And as of right now, the Chinese Communist Party does not allow the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board or the PCAOB to inspect audits of companies listed in China or Hong Kong. So, and do you know if that is an international organization or if that's a U.S. organization? I believe it's a U.S. organization because I, it's under the, uh, under the SEC, so I would guess. Okay. Is the SEC international? I mean, No, no, that's United States, so yeah. Okay, but they obviously are looking at a lot of inter- international companies' yep. financial statements. Um, but China has warned that audit plans will drive companies away from the U.S. exchanges, which – Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Baidu, who is sort of the Google of China, that's what uh, people have called them, has publicly considered delisting from the NASDAQ with their CEO saying, for a good company, there are many choices of destinations for listing, not limited to the US. Okay. So then why did you list in the US? Yeah. I mean, look, yeah, there, you can list anywhere. I mean, you can list London, you can list Hong Kong, you can list Shanghai, but I mean, you can even list Australia if you really wanted to, but that, I mean, the big investors can go invest basically anywhere, but if you want to invest in the U.S. and all they're saying is you have to tell the truth, why would you leave then? Because if you're leaving, that just kind of implies that you may not be telling the truth, right? Yeah, and if their thing is like, well, we don't need the U.S., then it's like, then don't list here. You didn't need to list. If you don't need to list here, then don't list here. Like Exactly. Yeah. They're, they're not forcing companies to list here, but they do want the largest pool of capital in the world, which is the United States investors. And Alibaba has said that they're okay with the audits. They see no reason why that shouldn't happen. It, I mean, that's the right approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, nothing, nothing big red flags from Alibaba specifically. We are both kind of skeptical on their numbers since they're so large and consistently growing, but I mean, nothing really bad. There's no obvious evidence there except for some big activist investors when they had their IPO and they have all those uh, foreign entities. They have like 5,000 subsidiaries, which are very hard to follow. So that's kind of an indicator that there could be some wrongdoing there, but there's no obvious evidence. Is is failing to subject yourself to like audits or fair play rules, basically submission? Like, Uh, I don't know. I don't know. There could be more reasons for someone to do this but i think it's a definite red flag like doesn't okay they threatened to leave after being told hey we're just going to check that you're telling the truth like that tells you everything you need to know doesn't it yeah i wouldn't invest in a company that threatens to leave just off the off chance that you have that 
big loss where if someone isn't telling the truth, then there's like a, what, you know, huge chance that you have an 80% loss of your capital, which can just be devastating. And what surprises me is that there are like US investors out there on Twitter or just investors in these companies that are like saying that that's fine, that they should be able to delist. But it's like, don't you like, don't you think that that's a tell that Mm -hmm. they are like, all right, no, don't check our books. All right. You don't get that chance. If Yeah. We're we're in agreement on this. Yeah. I don't know. It's, Seems crazy to me, but that was announced this week. Has to pass through the House of Representatives, um, and hopefully it does. We both support the bill, I guess. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. that's yeah. it for me. What's your story? Okay, Facebook shops. So a week ago, I think it was probably six days ago, because it was like a day after our last show aired, Mark Zuckerberg announced on a Facebook Live that they have a new product called Facebook Shops, which will easily allow businesses to list their products on Facebook. Instagram, all the different stories, products they have, and then through ads as well. So you can, you know, go buy products through that. Again here, we, I asked this last show, are we underestimating the Zuck as a CEO? He seems like he's heading into his prime right now, and they're doing a lot of things that seem very, very interesting. Yeah, I'm starting to take the approach of, Josh Wolf mentioned this on some podcast, or maybe it was a Real Vision interview, but it's, one of his companies that they invested that Lux invested in, like sold the Facebook, and the person that was selling to Facebook basically said, Bill Gates was viewed as a tyrant when he started. Now he's viewed mm-hmm. as like the great philanthropist. So, is it that unrealistic that Zuckerberg could be there one day? I don't think it is. They already have the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, um, and like there's sort of this tyrant image of Zuckerberg, but. If he wants to be ambitious and he wants to give, you know, Africans access to the internet and all that stuff, like there's no problem for me there. So yeah, I think we are we are sort of underestimating him because we view him sort of in a negative light. Yeah, I think that's just the territory of being the CEO or founder of a company when you're in like your early 30s. I think you're just gonna be ignorant. Like if we were starting something like this, you know, we're if we were in charge of a company of that size. It's just bound to be that. So once he heads, hopefully, you know, this is just optimistic, but hopefully once he heads into his 40s or late 30s, he gets a better worldview, more Bill Gatesian, which would be nice to have someone else like that in the world. Yeah, let's talk more about shops. Okay, so it's not on WhatsApp yet, but apparently they are coming later with that, which would be huge for international things. So the difference between this and what companies have been doing before, because you've seen you know, ads and stuff like that for products on Facebook and Instagram, that's a lot of what they have, is before you had to upload everything separately, but now you can upload your entire catalog to Facebook or whatever the interface you do to upload it, and then it will go everywhere. So that seems very nice and very easy for a small business to do in like a day or even half a day, save a lot of people time. As a note, uh, small and medium-sized businesses make up the majority of the 8 million advertisers on Facebook. So it seems like the people that are already using the platform would be a user of this. Zuck said that their business model is ads though, so they're not paying or charging for this. They're letting people do it for free, but they think they will make it up by an increase in ad demand. Do you believe that that can happen? I think they they might see the increase in ad demand. Not right now, maybe, but True, like, over yeah. time, I think this will boost ad demand. Do I think it'll stay free forever? Probably not. 
Um, and you're going to talk about this uh, transactions part of Facebook. And I think that will play into why it won't be free. Um, because if they can start to monetize that besides advertisements, why wouldn't they? Right. So yeah, right now the transactions aren't going through Facebook. So say you see it on Instagram, you still have to go through the site. So one more click over to the small businesses site, or yes, it couldn't, it could be a large business. It could be easily be like target or something. So completing the transactions, whatever that is, that's still in beta where everything is enclosed on the Facebook platform. So you can guess that that will be rolled out ASAP. So that's, and they said that as well, that's going to come out soon. Some people are using it, but it's on a limited basis just because I, I believe it's a little harder to scale to the, you know, the billions of users. Initially, though, I think this could help Shopify because it's going to send people to Shopify stores that aren't you know, going to go to Amazon instead because it's going to help people discover more small businesses online, which is probably a good thing. But if Facebook is successful, who do you think the winners and losers are long term? Because I think initially, it's going to help Etsy and Shopify. But in the long term, I would be a little nervous that eventually Facebook starts encroaching on their turf. Yeah, it's, it's tough for me to see a closed system for Facebook where it's super successful. And, and we talked about this. We, we had sort of an, I forget what it was. It was a meeting, but we talked about this where there was a Pinterest developer on Twitter that basically said social commerce doesn't work because you can't just throw a buy button on products that take like mental time to buy. And so for mm -hmm. me, even if I see an ad that's effective, like let's say I there's like this $60 shirt or $60 shoes or something like that, and I want to buy it, for me, I'm going to contemplate that decision, go to the website and buy it there. Like I think it's almost better to have Shopify come in there and just let this boost ad demand. Hmm. Maybe, maybe. I, I don't know. I think I, buying directly from Instagram, I guess I don't even use the platform, but I think it could be interesting, but it's not really that hard for, to have someone click over to another website. Right. Um, okay. Well, current state of FinTwit then. Um, do you want to go first? Sure. So I was going to put that Chinese thing. So I guess I have a headline right here. So the headline was, yeah, like we talked about before, China warns audit plans will drive companies from US exchanges. Couldn't have a bigger red flag, but here's another one. I saw a viral tweet. This is one is not serious at all. So that every time the rapper Little Yachty drops an album, the market actually sells off. And it's pretty direct. Like a few days after the market sells off, next album is dropping May 29th. So beware within the next week or so, we're going to see the market tank again. Guaranteed. See that, yeah, correlation does not equal causality. Yeah, technical analysis at its finest. Can't see how, yeah, any of that would be wrong. All right, any other ones? Nothing else for okay. Fintwood. Um, so permanent work from home was a topic that was discussed a lot on Twitter this week. And so I don't know if, I know these companies said you can either work from home forever or till the end of the year, but uh, Shopify, Facebook, Spotify, Twitter, Square. I know Jack Dorsey said both for Twitter and Square, they can work remotely forever. It, it's it, it there's something that bugs me about that and okay. maybe it's maybe it's at the corporate level it works because your systems are so automated and like you know you're you're file sharing and basically you're working on your own the whole time anyways but at a startup level when you're innovating when you're growing when like small decisions end up making a huge chunk of revenue i just think it's better to be like 
in the same room. There's and definitely I, positives. Yeah, there's definitely I positives. Could, I think the the flexibility is just what we what people kind of realize should have been enabled all along. Where if someone wants to work from home, maybe for just one day at a time, or just randomly, or maybe go into the office three days a week. I think that's great. But permanently working from home for everyone and forcing people to do that, which I don't think anyone is, is there's probably some downsides there. Yeah, and I put a poll on Twitter that was basically if you're building a company would you care if every, like, would you be fine with every single person working remotely? Like, you don't know. And uh, I think it was like 70% or something like that said, no, they'd not be okay with that. Yeah. It depends. It depends heavily what business it is. Yeah. I guess that's fair. Um, The other thing was Facebook said, and at first I didn't think that much of this. Facebook said compensation will be altered based on cost of living. If, if someone decides to work remotely and live somewhere else. And so I was like, all right, whatever, that, that kind of makes sense. But competitive like salaries, th- they're mm-hmm. not going to be able to get good employees. Right. No, no, no. Yeah, that does not make sense. Uh, the, yeah, I think it should all be just on talent. Like that, that doesn't make sense whatsoever. Like if you've got a high-end uh, yeah. developer and he, he, he decides he wants to go work from Austin, Texas, and you're like, all right, well, I'm going to cut your salary in half, then what's to stop some, the next Silicon Valley or next big tech company from saying, all right, we'll pay your current salary. Go work in Texas. We don't care. Yeah. I think that's clearly not going to work. All right. Well, that's, that's it for uh, current state of FinTwit for me. Um, do we have anything else before? No, nope, we're going to take the break, right? And then no interview and we'll hit right into the second half. Okay. Quick break. Here you go. All right, welcome back. We have our hot water. We have an option kings um, that we have to discuss. So it's been yeah, a while. Update for something. update for the summer. Plan for the summer, right? Right. And then we have fuck Mary kill, and then we have the five things we learned since starting the podcast. So let's kick things off with hot water. I only have two. Okay, I have three. So, it's a okay. t- not a really big week because we try to keep it non-coronavirus related. So it's really tough with to find these anymore. Yeah, so the first one that I have here, this week, NASA scientists detected evidence of a parallel universe where time runs backwards. So my question is, in this parallel universe, what are your three largest holdings? <laughs> That's a good question. First off, this wasn't, that was just a clickbaity headline. It technically wasn't true. They just found a particle that is not explained by the laws of physics yet, which is in itself exciting, but I guess not as news grabbing. The three stocks I'd own in a, universe where time runs backwards that just means i want to own stocks that go down the most right 
Yeah, I, I was thinking parallel universe, just stocks that you hated the most. So st- I guess stocks, yeah, I, that's similar. I, I don't, I mean, I guess I don't Tesla. I don't, it's really tough. Com- because a lot of the companies that have, were gonna fail are like failing right now. And the stocks don't reflect that because I probably would have said Macy's and JCPenney, but they're already beat down a ton. Maybe I'll, I would own, hmm, Boeing maybe, but it seems like they're too big to fail. That just is not going to happen. They're not going to, they're not going to collapse. It's just it, the government won't let that happen. I'm really struggling here. I don't know. Would you do any based well, on valuation? Ooh, eh, no. Because who knows? Like, I think Shopify is overvalued. It's clearly overvalued, but it might stay overvalued for the next five years. Yeah, you know what? That ooh, ooh. Uber, Uber. I think Uber's a good one. Uber and Lyft, maybe. That brings up a good point. Yeah, I, I don't like either of those business models. Dan McMurtry talked about this before, which was he said, we don't usually short on valuation. Yeah. I think that's a good idea because the whole markets can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent. A lot of that has to do with valuation, but shorting based on sort of game theory and you know companies that you think aren't going to survive or the, the, the industry and the business model, that's sort of... Uh, feels like a, it would be a more profitable path. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't want to short just purely on valuation. If the business is good, you want to short when the business is bad and going to get worse. Okay, second hot water this week. Netflix is in hot water for me because this week they pulled possibly the biggest humble brag PR stunt that I've seen in a long time. They they obviously put this out in the public that they are going to ask customers that aren't that active if they'd like to cancel their accounts. Nothing materially positive can come from that. So it's no, I think, I think you're completely wrong on this. I think it's great. I think it's great. They want to be the exact opposite of a cable company. They want to be the easiest to use. They want to make it super easy to hop onto the subscription and hop off. This is fantastic. This is a great move. I'm being serious. Okay. Long-term. Yeah, I actually do think it is a good move long-term. But materially, like you can't gain anything from that unless there's a massive boost in accounts immediately because people are like, oh, they'll just tell me if I'm not using it. But I think it's more likely that you're going to get a lot of people that are like, oh, shit, I forgot I was paying this. I think people forget that all Netflix cares about is getting users and making it super easy for them. That's really all they care about. That's why they don't run ads. That's why they do shit like this. That's all they care about because that's what's worked in the past. So yeah. Either way, that was a major humble brag. Um, so, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. What are your hot waters this week? Okay, the state of Washington because they lost hundreds of million dollars, hundreds of millions to a Nigerian fraud ring because of unemployment claims. People have been just. I bet it's been the inspection thing has been really low there. turns out that the email schemes have finally worked out. Someone in the Washington state offices got caught from that Nigerian prince. You know, it's finally paying off. That's really going to help for them. I'm not going to mention who, but I know people that directly, like their names were directly used in this kind of thing. Oh, people were coming in. So they, these Nigerian, whatever this Nigerian group pretended to be people in Washington oh, and file for unemployment. So yeah, it was like, it was, it didn't really affect them, I guess that much. Well, not at all. Yeah. You really just have to call in and be like, 
yeah, I'm not unemployed, but it like, <laughs> how do you, how do you not figure this out? Because there's probably companies out there that weren't publicly firing anyone. And they're like, man, why are this all these unemployed people? Yeah, I don't know. It's a whole mess. Whole mess. Big waste uh, of money. Keep going. Okay, tech investors. Here's a headline. Silicon Valley is going crazy for Clubhouse, a social media app with 1,500 users that's already worth $100 million. They must have a hell of a R ARPU. What is it? I don't know. I don't know what it is. I've heard, seen someone mention it before, but yeah. seriously, 1,500 users and a $100 million valuation. The, the lifetime value of that customer has to be, what, $500,000? Yeah, that's just that. You said 1,500? 1,500, yeah. <laughs> I don't. That's, I didn't bet it. I didn't bet it, so it might not be true. It was just in the headline, but. It must, like, isn't it? But I've, talk, I've heard people talk about it, so I'm surprised that it's getting this much publicity with 1,500 users. Yeah, because it's all VCs. Yeah. We're all just right. going to keep investing in it. All right, next one. Okay, last one. Uh, I'm putting the classic question. Is the market overvalued? Uh, is it in hot water? Because the ratio of growth to value is officially the highest it's ever been outside of 1999 and 2000. Yeah. Hmm. Well, this is, it's crazy to me that people do not think that that's, they really don't, they just gloss that over now. They really don't think it matters. So now you're going to be in that value crowd, right? Because you are long small cap value now. It, yeah, I guess in my Roth IRA, I'm going to buy up. My plan is to buy up a good amount of that for my Roth IRA. Still just individual stocks in my individual portfolio. But yeah, Roth IRA, adding a lot of the VIOV, which so is small cap give, value ETF. Let me give you a hypothetical. Hypothetical. <laughs> hypothetical. All right. Okay. Hypothetical growth outperforms value for the next 10 years again. Mm. Are you longer value or are you depends, like, right, it depends up on the fight and you're just like, I'll just invest in the growth companies. Mm, I don't know. They can go on longer. As you can see that the, the growth versus value has was worse in 1999, 2000. So it can always get worse. All right. But um, if you look over periods of 30 years, I don't know. We'll see though. Who knows? I'm not, right. I'm not, not nearly an expert on that. I have to definitely read up more. Quick option king segment. So we have, and we've talked about this before. Anyone that doesn't know, we have this joint portfolio where we basically podcast revenue. We buy, originally it was speculative weekly options on like earnings weeks, but. Which actually worked surprisingly. Yeah, but we stopped doing that and we're sort of trying to do more thesis driven options. Still at, way out of the money usually. Um, sort of unrealistic, but low priced. What do we have? What, what do we currently have as far as options? We have two. First one is the one we talk about quite a bit, the Tesla put. It is for January 15th, 2021, and is $150. And crazily, the stock has been, I mean, doing like really well. Um, and it's, it's not, I think we bought it when it was around 650 675 and it's now up to what, 800 or something? It's been around there for the last few weeks. The put option is up 57% for us, which doesn't make any sense. It was up a ton when the market was tanking, but that one's crazy. 
Uh, and we plan on holding that until what, if it passes $3,000 worth, which would mean that the option contract is worth $30, which is like 10x from here, we would plan on selling it and let, if it comes back down below that, right? Yeah. So basically, if the option goes above three thousand, we're going to let it keep going until five thousand. So if it was worth fifty dollars, and we'd sell. If it goes above three thousand, comes back down, we're just going to sell right where it's at, wherever it is. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. Stock. The stock is up. I want to say like twenty percent since we bought the puts. And, the and it's puts been three up. months. Yeah. And the so puts time matters. Time matters a lot. So it's weird. Yeah, 50 something percent. So it's, that's, you know, the, the options market doesn't always correlate with the uh, stock itself. Um, and then our other one is stitch fix. Do you want to talk about how we sort of parceled those out? Yeah. So we timed this one again, got a little lucky. We timed this one really well, bought those in March and we have $30 call, $33 call, $35 call and a $40 call. Uh, we have four of the forties, two thirty-threes, three thirty-fives, two thirties. Kind of just random, just whatever they were cut, they cost. Uh, and you know, the thirty-dollar one is getting pretty close. The Stitch Fix price is at about twenty-three dollars, so we need a little bit more. I mean, it's already gotten. I don't know. We don't need that much more to get there, but it's kind of like it's still pretty far. Uh, but we plan on selling the thirty-dollar call if it nets us like a seven hundred percent gain. Which again, these have done very, very well uh, because. If it gets up to there, the stock price will probably be around $30, $32 a share, depending on the timing, if it's a little later down the road. And again, I should note that these expire at the same time, January 15th, 2021. So if we do that, that'll cover our cost basis and we'd probably make like 200% on these. And then we'd also want to just keep the $33 ones, the $35 ones and the $40 ones to see how good they can get. Because it seems like Stitch Fix has gotten a lot of momentum and the thesis on them was correct during the spring here. They're getting a little momentum with uh, the store closures and, you know, people having to go online and stuff. We'll see what happens during the earnings report, but who knows, you know, we're pretty excited about that one and think if Stitch Fix does well, the upside there is tremendous, honestly. Yeah. And this is our chance for our first hundred bagger, I'd say. And on the 10 cent calls, the $40 ones. Yeah. I mean, they're up. It's, so far, seventeen beggars. So, and I mean, it's it's gonna probably grow faster the closer it gets to forty. So, yeah, sign up for our newsletter. You know, right? A hundred uh, for hundred bagger in six months. You know, I mean, yeah. Oh, Hot seat, Jim Grant. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. No big deal. But I I almost think it sets a bad precedent. Like we walked into the casino and won the lottery the first time and now we're and we we still haven't sold so it's a little precarious because the options if say a bad earnings reports comes out with stitch fix a lot of that appreciation just go out the window and down to zero so it's very risky and this is no way that we've actually had these return yet it's just on the right path okay with facebook announcing that they are joining the e-commerce space my theme for fuck mary kill this week is e-commerce so Facebook, Shopify, and Wix. Wow, Wix. That's interesting. I don't know anything about Wix's valuation or market cap or really their business model. I think it's sort of like WordPress, right? Or maybe different. But Is so that e-commerce? What, Let's try I Wayfair. Think kind How of. about that? Wayfair. Okay, well, kill Wayfair. I just don't like it as the business model doesn't seem great. What's the other one? Etsy and Shopify? Uh, Shopify and Facebook. Oh, so Shopify, Facebook, Wayfair. 
marrying Facebook, way more steady. Fuck Shopify, I guess, but I really don't like Shopify or Wayfair as an investment. Those valuation numbers are just not great, and Wayfair does not have a good business model. Facebook, if they continue their success, and the you know the government doesn't crack down on them, they don't get all these fines. I think it's really really undervalued if they perform like the business wise. It's it's kind of unreal that they're at some the valuation they used they were valued at like a sixteen times EBITDA multiple at one point in the last year, which is insane for a company growing their revenues at 20% with that type of moat. Yeah. And they, I mean, they continue to execute and maybe they'll be getting some cost cutting benefits from paying the uh, remote employees. Poorly. Yeah, true. They're all going to move to Southeast Asia. So they don't have to, so that they only have to pay $20,000 a year to be their head of software. Okay. Um, I guess I'd, I agree with all those. I don't like, I mean, I like the business models. I like the business model for Shopify. I'd probably marry Facebook. Don't know enough about Wayfair and then Shopify. I mean, uh, Shopify is just valued at like. It's all valuation. And you know yeah. what? I saw a thing today, Motley Fool. Everyone keeps going like, well, you would have had good returns if you bought Amazon in 2001 or whatever. And it's like, okay, when the Motley Fool bought Amazon in 1998, Seven. Like 1997, it was trading at a price to sales of like 13 or 15, not 15. Yeah. And it was like a fraction of the size, like 1% of the size of, of Shopify right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, those comparisons are not apt. Although if you were early on Shopify, the valuation was a lot better. It's just, it's just gotten way too ahead of itself. I don't know how people aren't seeing that. There was that tweet from that. Uh, it's like Eloise, Senator it's a it's a yeah. anonymous account she's like what the shopify the, is that like 69 times 20 34 earnings or something like that and she said if you sh- if you swap out microsoft's financials with shopify's and you discount it back they're kind of cheap right now or something like that yeah yeah that was a fantastic tweet all right um five five things we've learned since starting the podcast got a few yeah. sentimental ones a few actual actually helpful tips um so you want to kind of alternate on these yeah sure we just alternate okay first one uh first of all i probably learned the most through interviews i'd mm-hmm. say so everyone kind of wants everyone wants to be able to tell their story and so people are far more receptive to talking than you'd think most of our interviews just came from us the dming investors that we admired so you know don't 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 be afraid to do that uh People yeah. are way more receptive that to that than you'd imagine. Definitely. Yeah, I'd agree. All right. My first one is in the, from now to back then, investing is a lot harder than you think initially. Within the first, it takes about a year or two for you to realize, oh, I can't just read this Google article and then be a great investor. Yeah. And there's there is that learning curve that we've talked about where initially you're like, Oh, this is really easy. I mean, I could outperform like no problem. But then there, then it, it's a steep learning curve because you come back down to earth when you're wrong, and at some point you will be wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or when you just I don't know. There's plenty of things that make you realize that. Yeah. Uh, second one for me: don't act like you know more than you do. Um, I've been I, I've done this before, but it gets you in kind of a sticky situation. You don't want to be you don't want to pretend that you know something you don't so just be curious 
um, and ask questions of people that do, especially like if you're on Twitter, don't talk out of your realm. It's, I mean, it's good to learn, but don't act like you know it. Just be curious and ask questions. Yeah. Saying, I don't know, is a really easy way to be courageous and humble. Yeah. All right. Number two for you. Okay. Two news outlets are not what you should be using for research. That is just efficient knowledge. CNBC, everyone's watching. You're reading all the same articles. You're not going to get an edge. And I just think that's wasted information for investors. Okay. Yeah. That's, uh, I kind of agree more. I, I spend way too much time. I used to listen to the noise, watch CNBC. <laughs> yeah. St- don't listen to the noise. That's right. Right. Um, so my third one here, we've interviewed a fair amount of business owners and people that have done well or been successful in successful businesses. Um, and so the, 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 the one thing I learned is that there's no grand plan at the start. Like no one sets out to be the master company. Like uh, even Bezos with Amazon, I don't think he was starting it and thinking like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, we're going to start AWS. Like no, they're not thinking about that. It's just people are doing something that they like that, that customers find valuable and they're solving one problem at a time. And over time it turns into a good business. So don't, when, when there's small businesses that have like massive total addressable markets, cause they plan to like Casper, they're going to like master the sleep economy. Like you want businesses that provide value and solve simple things. Mm-hmm. And like one example for us is we interviewed the ex chief revenue officer at Twitch a long time ago. And there was no way that they were planning to be bought out by Amazon for like a billion dollars. I'm, I'm sure they were just building a platform for gamers to watch other gamers or for an audience to watch gamers and they enjoyed what they were doing. Like it That's serves awesome. value. It's simple. It, it, just look for companies that do that. Yeah. Then you can be a yeah, great investor right there. Uh, all right. My next one. If you talk about Tesla, people are talking about Tesla in a negative light. People get very, very angry. Yeah. It's like the, it's like the politics of finance. No, it's not Paul. It's well, certain pockets that people obviously know about now. It's not the polarizing effect of politics, but for finance. Yeah. But I wouldn't say all politics is polarizing, just certain national parts. Yeah, I mean, but if, you know, the bear versus bull feels like it, it gets into the same sort of feeling you get when you're on political Twitter and it's like Democrats versus Republicans. Yeah. All right. Whatever. I, just, I don't agree with that, but the it's just for certain parts of that debate. It's okay. like the Tesla is like the president, you know, the presidential stuff. Yeah, it's tough to, it, it is definitely a tough topic to talk about. And it's something that you got to like definitely do your research on because- well. There's yeah, I don't think it's tough stuff. to talk about, but people, you got to have some thick skin. Right. Um, my third one here is super cliche, but it's like being persistent is actually super valuable. So for like the six, first six months, maybe the first year of this podcast, we were basically talking to ourselves. Um, now yeah, about, we have, about like 60 listeners. Yeah, we have a like a decent audience now and it's picked up a lot. And for, I'd say after like the first six months, I, I was kind of like all right maybe we should stop and you said uh most podcasts don't make it past like five months or something like that and after we got past the five six month hump started to put a little more effort into it we started to see that that uh the the benefits so yeah yeah and we got better which i think helped as well yeah and maybe uh 
invest in a mic. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, definitely help getting the $150 mics. Okay, what's yours? All right, fourth one, Zoom is just infinitely better than Skype, and it's what you should be using to record remotely. Yeah, agreed, 100%. Uh, That one's not really investing-related, but... Right for me. Number five. The last one is write. Write a lot. I don't do it enough. I really only write for the Substack, but it really helps with clarity in terms of your own thoughts. Even if you like write an article and don't even even if you don't publish it, like mm-hmm. just write it. Get your thoughts on paper. It helps, and especially with your own portfolio, because then you can kind of look at your own portfolio and go, hmm. This is something I don't like. This is something I can change where if you didn't write about it, you might not learn that. So start there, start writing about like your own portfolio and what you're doing and then build out and talk about like the individual businesses and start to do that. I I think it helps a lot to write. Yeah. The, if you don't want to write publicly, that's fine. You can do it privately. It is very easy to do uh, publicly online. So if you want to do that, but yeah, writing about each company in your portfolio really helps you understand it more. Because you have to do the research, write with yeah, clarity, stuff like that. Okay, last one for you. Okay, uh, yeah, this one is not investing related either, but uh, maybe it is. But consistent and reliable output of the show was the probably the most important thing because I get mad at other shows that don't do stuff consistently and I listen to a lot of shows that are reliable. So. Yeah, for sure. I think we went every Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday for the last, year almost year and a half now no i I think fundamental analysis so i think we had maybe one or two weeks where we were off or it wasn't exactly the same ever since we started the fundamental analysis stuff yeah that definitely helps like if you're starting podcasts there's plenty of tips for you just ask people if they want to be on dm them on twitter that helps a lot twitter's like perfect for that um get a decent mic because that helps a ton, and then just be consistent with it. Yeah, consistency the best part. Yeah, and and, and if I guess for investing related, the thing I learned about is getting on Twitter. You don't even have to tweet, but I learned a ton, and it's also very entertaining. So there's funny parts of financial Twitter where people make fun of stuff, but you can also interact with the inv- like. I can comment on a tweet from Jim Chanos or Cliff Asness, and they'll actually respond, which is amazing. Like there's two two of the goats right there. Right. Yeah. Being, being on Twitter, whether you're just there to read other people, like just follow investors that you admire. Um, and you'll find more investors that you admire through Twitter mm-hmm. and you get to basically copy all their ideas. I do recommend putting out your own thoughts because you're going to get feedback at worst you'll learn. Um, and at best people will re- recognize that you have valuable thoughts and they'll also start to follow you. And it's just, uh, it's definitely, it's a big value add. I would pay 15, 20 bucks a month for it if it was subscription. So I saw someone say that it, would, uh, it was someone who wasn't, uh, forget the, the handle, but it was, they said that they pay a hundred bucks a month for Twitter. They think it's that valuable. I don't know about a hundred, but <laughs> yeah, that seems a little much, especially with our, uh, payment abilities, but yeah. Right. Okay. Well, that's going to do it then. That is our last episode before August slash September. Um, so hopefully, well, I'll be done by August. So if you oh, walk maybe, yeah, maybe enough, you might be able to get some interviews in then or something and I might be a little later. 
If you walk faster, though, you could get Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Though that's all I'm going to be thinking is walking fast so I can get the show back. Okay. Um, well, that is going to do it. Like, follow, review. Um, if you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are, um, just leave us some feedback. It really helps. We aren't financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or recommendation. Also, feel free to give us emails. We've been getting a lot of emails the past few weeks from listeners that are saying, Thank you guys uh, that, that are saying thank you to us and it kind of encourage us, encourages us to get more interviews for when we come back and you know just provide more value to them. So mm-hmm. And show, uh, take our suggestions for fundamental analysis shows. Yep, and it's chitchatmoneypodcast at gmail.com. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you in four months.